0: Welcome back everybody to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less! What? I am Lisa Linky, and the other gorgeous voice that you're hearing in your ears
1: is oh, Mr. Stillett.
0: I'm a closet troll. Call me
1: the closet troll. Oh.
0: <laughs> we are coming to you at the end of March, so I don't know when you're going to hear this, but we are physically and socially distancing to be responsible, caring citizens for those on the front lines dealing with the coronavirus and to take care of ourselves and others, and um,
1: and hopefully, by the time you hear this, it will be May. It will be fully spring and a memory. A and that's, that's what memory. we're hoping for. So, yeah. this is either going to be completely tone deaf when the episode comes out, or we'll, <laughs> we'll have been so prescient about it.
0: Yeah. So um, we have had a couple episodes. First of all, we miss Sav desperately. We miss the incredible audio quality. We're doing our very best to kind of recreate it. And I now have a new microphone that we're trying out. I think I sound better. So thank you for everybody, our longtime loyal listeners, our LLLs for sticking through. Um, And if it's only slightly better, I'm doing the best I can.
1: (laughs) Listen, we're all this is such a good setup for today's mini sode which we'll get into. But normally, uh, in a full episode on Fridays, we read and review a popular self-help book. and we we give you um a critically thinking, uh, a hopefully humorous summary about it. But today, no. No, no. No It's not that. No, no. No, today we're bringing you hot off the closet floor, (laughs) a weekly beef. And a weekly beef is Tuesday's episodes, And it's just our time for supplemental shit, you guys. And we, guys, so sorry. We should always say that before we Well, it does have the
0: E. It does have the E explicit ratings. But, yeah. Meanwhile,
1: hundreds of toddlers now are like, what does shit mean? I think they know. Sorry.
0: They walk around in it and there are diapers.
1: So we're here's what it.
0: we're gonna say. We uh, are bringing you hand-selected, handcrafted beef um, every Tuesday, <laughs> <laughs> and we're here for you, and we love you, and we want to keep creating content. So please, if you haven't already, uh, like and Look, review and your share weekly serving of beef. That's right. Share yeah. uh, share our podcast with friends. Okay, Miss Yeah, D.
1: are you lonely at home and self-isolating? Well, hang out with us in That's your right. ear holes. <laughs> yeah. So Lisa, you assigned me uh two things of homework from the, the love, I mean, I the love think of men. For the love of men, which was an incredible book that really makes me have so much compassion for men and what they are going through that yeah. we don't talk about enough. Yeah. As a society. Yeah. And neither do they. And neither do they. So um uh, the first homework you assigned me was thinking about what types of benevolent sexism or chivalry, which is benevolent sexism mm-hmm. that I want to address in dating. And that's really interesting. Yeah. To me. And then and, I said
0: if that was too much because you're not dating right now. You could skip it, but it sounds like well, you I'm did put act, some thought into it. I'm not actively
1: dating, but I think like, uh, uh I mean, like I'm not—you know—it's not like I'm—I'm I'm not meeting people off of Hinge actively. I'm in my closet, okay, getting very cozy. <laughs> Missing, with you some know, you blankets.
0: can go out into the rest of your apartment. Speak right? for
1: yourself; it's not safe out there. I will not go further than the door. Um, <laughs> everything's fine. You're fine. It doesn't smell. So, um, so benevolent sexism, uh, as explained in the book, is are are things that seem like they're really nice acts but really they're they're sort of demeaning to women and they're it's um what did she say sort of misogyny but with a wink
0: yeah and it just kind of continues to just freshen the well of sexism every time you do it
1: yeah, yeah. So so for instance, things like holding a door or walking on the outside of a, a, a woman on a busy street to protect her just sort of implies like she needs protecting and isn't capable on her own and, and those sorts of things. And so uh, as I mentioned in that episode, I have trouble with this because my love language is acts of service. Yeah. So I think it's particularly hard for me. Um, uh, Oh, Oh. And the, the idea was how you can tell if it's benevolent sexism or not is if you wouldn't do that same act for another man or for someone of the same sex. Or for someone of yeah for someone of the same sex excuse me um, yeah and you would only do it for a woman then chances are it's it's that so um, and women I do it as well right so like Misty when I um,
0: go grocery shopping for myself if I told you I did that you probably wouldn't be like hey great job Lisa really good job like I'm oh, really yeah, proud of you really
1: patting. Right. But if a guy was like,
0: I actually went and got groceries and like clipped coupons and like did things that are quote unquote feminine, Mm -hmm. you would, right? You might be like, hey, good job, buddy. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, yeah. But
0: But if I was like, I clipped coupons, you'd be like, girl, what coupons did you not use?
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're yeah. right. That's really so we that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you want to know more about this and a fascinating read, highly recommend Gemma yes. Hartley's book, Fed Up. We yes. actually had her, she's an amazing author. We had her on the podcast. There's an episode with her. Mm-hmm. Um early days. It was like June-ish last year. So yeah. uh, uh, who knows? This could be 10 years into the podcast. Someone's listening to this. <laughs> and now we're wildly successful and we have a syndicated talk show um, on Oprah's <laughs> network. <laughs> Oprah, come on the podcast. Uh, so I'll say that was in June of 2019. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I think... I don't know. I think just paying really close attention to what makes me feel closer to my partner as a human being or the yes. person I'm with as a human being yes. versus what feels like it's sort of an arbitrary act to be done. You know, yeah,
0: like there's nothing wrong with wanting somebody to walk on the outside of the street closer yeah. to the. There's nothing wrong with that, especially as you mentioned, your love language is acts of service. So, yeah that's okay. It's yeah, just but that it's, if like, so she brings up so eloquently, I think in same sex couples, they have to negotiate and figure out because gender roles are kind what? of thrown out yeah. the window. That's
1: right. Which I love. Yeah. So I think, I think for me, it's, I, I always want to show up as an equal partner as much as I can, you know, cause not, not all things are equal. There's always going to be one person's going to make more money than the other person, or one person might have more free time than the other person, you know, it's going to ebb and flow. But, I I love to open doors for people. I love to do thoughtful things. I like to pick up the check, you know, <clears throat> and I would happily walk on the outside of the street. So I think it's just going to have to be a conversation. Yeah. And then the other, the other um, question you asked me was, how am I going to talk to my male friends uh, slash future partners about how... Um, doing equal was it equal mental load? Well, it was just like how
0: do you want to approach and talk to them about yeah, equal mental load with either that or just kind of like um god, what did i say? Well, cuz
1: you said you said that like men who do equal yes. I think it was mental load or emotional labor are happier. We know the science shows that men who
0: are more emotionally aware uh, uh, provide, uh, pr- produce happier relationships right. for uh, heterosexual relationships. So the women are happier and pr- report greater satisfaction.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, luckily I have some experience with this. Mm -hmm. And when I read, uh, again, Gemma Hartley cannot Mm -hmm. have a conversation about this without bringing her up. Mm -hmm. Her viral Harper's Bazaar article, we read it on a mini-sode. And I go into depth about how that article really gave me language Mm -hmm. for uh, the mental load, which is this unseen invisible load that off it's usually women if we're talking about heteronormative relationships um, but usually one partner more than the other usually women um but have this enormous mental load they have to think about in addition to physical labor and now being in the workforce and and that sort of thing and it's all about like whose birthday's coming up how can we buy them a present are we out of half and half in the house yeah. what needs to be tidied so um yeah, when I,
0: you did such a good job of talking to your partner about that at that yeah, time. Yeah,
1: and and I think what I love, and if you want to hear more about it, go listen to that mini-sode. It's called Women Aren't Nags, We're Just Fed Up. Um, or it's not a mini-sode, it's a full episode, it's an article. But I think I when it feels right and organic, I will absolutely bring it up. I'm not afraid to bring it up, and I have brought it up with um, with a few of my male friends that I mm-hmm. thought were willing to hear it and could benefit from it, mm-hmm. um, and for future partners, I think just being who I am, it comes up pretty early on. Okay, good. <laughs> dating yeah. me, yeah. And I think it's it's just like she suggests. You know, Liz, the author of this book, says you just decide who enjoys doing stuff because like I don't mind doing the laundry yeah. I would much rather do the laundry than be in charge of the dishes yeah you know so just just having a conversation about you know it it I just love that you this idea of being deliberate and not taking for granted that because one partner identifies as one gender that they should somehow be responsible for the entirety of the household or the entirety of the breadwinning. You know, I like just being deliberate about it. So I'm just going to keep it as a conversation.
0: I love that. Great job, Misty.
1: Thank you. That was um, a lot of homework, but I like (laughs)
0: it. Well, listen, you're an A student, so you, you can handle it.
1: Listen, mail me a gold star. I will Clorox it as soon as I get it. And then I will put it where I can see it every day. So I wanted to share another New York Times article with us today Great. because I'm um and just i loving their Smarter Living newsletter. Uh, and it's all about how to live better. And it's really lovely. So this is from May 22nd of 2018. And I felt like it really applied to self-isolation and what we're going through right now because I know a lot of us are feeling big feelings. And then we are judging ourselves for feeling those big feelings. So I have cried so many times since this uh, this has happened. <laughs> I, have, I have had anxiety like I've never had before. And then I've judged myself like, wait a second, I host a self-help podcast. We have... Like a hundred and fifty episodes, and I can't get a grip, and then judging myself for it. So this felt really relevant and is something that's very personal to me uh, right now. Okay, so good. this is this is called "Why You Should Stop Being So Hard on Yourself." Self criticism can take a toll on our minds and bodies. It's time to ease up. Yes, and it's by Charlotte Lieberman. We're all our own worst critics. Ever heard that one before? Yes, it's an obnoxious cliché, but it's not just self-help fluff. Evolutionary psychologists have studied our natural negativity bias, which is that instinct in us all that makes negative experiences seem more significant than they really are. In other words, we've evolved to give more weight to our flaws, mistakes, and shortcomings than our successes. Self-criticism can take a toll on our minds and bodies, said Dr. Richard Davidson, founder and director of the Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he also teaches psychology and psychiatry. Casual, he dem. That's yeah. not in the. That's not in the article. That's my commentary. Okay. <laughs> Could you imagine if it just said casual, casual. in the right time? he dem. <laughs> By the way, this is a weekly beef, and there is an ad in the middle of this this online article that I'm reading, and it's just this cow staring at me. I'm gonna Thank love you. it. Like a little winking and on. Um, It can lead to ruminative thoughts that interfere with our productivity and it can impact our bodies by stimulating inflammatory mechanisms that lead to chronic illness and accelerate aging. He said. Great. Well, now
0: I feel bad about it, which is just worse.
1: Yeah. Helpful. The end. Bye. Life is abundant. But that's not the end of the story. There are ways around our negativity bias, and it is possible to turn self-criticism into opportunities for learning and personal growth. Really. What? 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 But first, let's talk about how we got here. Okay, so why are we so hard on ourselves? For one, blame evolution. Our brains equip us with a mechanism to monitor our mind and our behavior, Dr. Davidson said, so that when we make errors, we are able to notice the mistake. In order to recover, we first must notice that a mistake has occurred, he said. Just noticing that we've deviated from our expectations or goals, whether that's eating too much or not completing a daily to-do list, isn't necessarily the same thing as degrading ourselves into a shame spiral. Now that's In some true. cases, yeah, in some cases, like when our safety or moral integrity are on the line, it's crucial that our brains tell us good from bad so that we learn the right lessons from our experiences. But sometimes, assigning negative value to our experiences and behaviors can ensnare us, Dr. Davison said, into cycles of unhelpful rumination, like when you lie in bed at night needlessly replaying an awkward interaction or repeatedly revisiting that minor typo. This Honey, is where give we it, it seven seconds. Listen, <laughs> there is an article we read just a couple of weeks ago that said, it was called Just Give It Se- Seven Seconds on a Minisode, and it is such a funny, funny, funny article about like, do not replay that awkward fuck thing because you're just going to do another awkward thing in a second it was the best my favorite quote from that article was just by being alive yes. we are all humiliating ourselves all the all time, the time.
0: <laughs> it was so good
1: okay back to the new york times sorry my this favorite is was where, when
0: she goes oh honey give us seven
1: seconds oh honey water water <laughs> okay, and it's that type of self-criticism that can have measurably destructive effects, uh, including symptoms of depression, anxiety, substance <sighs> abuse, negative self-image, and in particularly vicious twist, decreased motivation and productivity, according to a study published in the Journal of Psychotherapy Integration.
0: Okay. Another
1: study published in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin, these sound riveting, <laughs> found that self criticism <laughs> Found that self criticism leads people to becoming preoccupied with failure. Basically, that makes sense. Ah, Um, hold on, I clicked out of the article. Per the use. Basically, beating yourself up for finishing only three of the five items on your to-do list is going to make you less likely to finish those last two items. And yet we're programmed to fall into that pattern. Unless you're Misty Stinnet, in which you make an impossibly long to-do list, you never finish it and you find yourself in a cycle of just rolling over to the next. day.
0: Oh my god, I love you.
1: You're crying. That seems conflicting. What should I do? If this feels a bit like a catch-22, that's because it is. We're evolutionarily predisposed to nitpick at our feelings, yet doing so has the opposite of the intended effect. The solution? It's called self-compassion, dummy. No, that's just my commentary. (laughs) It's called self-compassion. The practice of being kind and understanding I just want you to forever
0: tell us that it's not really written in the thing. I can tell you every I did, time. They didn't really write dummy. I'm trying to be
1: me. a responsible. Uh, it, listen, I'm not even saying like a quote before a quote. I'm just like, they get it. You get, get it. it. We're here we for it. I'm in a closet. Uh, the solution is called self compassion, the practice of being kind and understanding to ourselves when confronted with a personal flaw or failure. According to Dr. Kristen Neff, Associate Professor of Psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. Okay. i doing that at one breath. Research shows that the number one barrier to self compassion is fear of being complacent and losing your edge, Dr. Oh. Neff said. And all the research shows that's not true. It's just the opposite, that's meaning not that self compassion can lead to grief. Greater achievement than self-criticism ever could. In fact, several studies have shown that self-compassion supports motivation and positive change. And a 2016 study, researchers found that self-compassion led to greater personal improvement, in part through heightened acceptance, and that focusing on self-compassion spurs positive adjustment in the face of regrets. Mm. This is, of course, easier said than done. But core to self-compassion is to avoid getting caught up in our mistakes and obsessing about them until we degrade ourselves, and rather strive to let go of them so we can move on to the next productive action from a place of acceptance and clarity, according to experts. When we get up when we get caught up in self-referential thinking, the type that happens with rumination, worry, guilt, or self-judgment, it activates self-referential brain networks, said so the psychiatrist and neuroscientist, Dr. Judson Brewer. Not I'm real.
0: Judson. Not real. Director, of, I'm kidding, it's real. It's a real person <laughs> yes, and doctor. It's real. That's a real. That's a real thing. That's to right, that's
1: real. I'm so sorry. I don't even want to joke about diminishing experts now because we need expertise, <laughs> and not trusting expertise is what got us into this mess. Okay. I love you. Love you. Uh, so this very real person is the director of research at the Center for Mindfulness, an associate professor in medicine and psychiatry at University of Massachusetts Medical School. Okay. Can't do well. When we let go of that mental chatter and go easy on ourselves, these same brain regions quiet down, he said. Developing an approach of self-compassion and a willingness to let go starts with practice. So where and how to start? 3 steps to self-compassion. One. First. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you're um, not jumping in with anything. I, I was One, just counting let with you. Let out a big fart. It's a stress reliever. <laughs> Two. Paint your face with watercolor brushes. It's <laughs> relaxing. Three. Eat a whole bag of weed gummies and see what happens. <laughs> I'm in a closet. <laughs> Three steps to self-compassion. First, make the choice. <laughs> i
0: love I lost you my friend, Misty.
1: <laughs> she's she's, she's gone. gone. What's upsetting is like, this is definitely the funnier version of me. I'm just in here forever. If I want a career, I'm never coming out of the closet. It's like it's 1950 and I've got to stay in the closet. First. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right i'll make a federal case about right, it right, right, right. Make, number one make the choice that you'll at least try a new approach to thinking about yourself <laughs> is that christopher walken in the 1950s Isn't it's christopher walken as a newscaster in the 1950s commit sure. to treating yourself more kindly call it letting go of self-judgment going easier on yourself practicing self-compassion or whatever resonates most i feel to like you're doing the muscle, that right now
0: and i'm very proud of you
1: Thank you. It's, um, I'm in a closet and I'm okay with me here Mm -hmm. in the closet Mm -hmm. to strengthen the muscle. Dr. Brewer suggests any type of practice that helps us stay in the moment and notice what it feels like to get caught up. See how painful that is compared to being kind to ourselves. One of the most portable and evidence-based practices for noticing our thoughts and learning to let them go is meditation. Try mindfulness meditation, which involves anchoring your attention on the breath as a tool to stay present without getting lost in judgment, stories, and assumptions. By the way, I love the Headspace app. And mm-hmm. I don't know if by the time this episode comes out, it this will still be true. It probably will be true. But they released a ton of free content oh, to help nice. people during this time. And they just have a foundations course that's always free. Um, I use the paid version of the app. I think I pay like 55 or 70 a year and like an annual payment. And then I get a year of the Headspace app and they do the best guided meditations of all different topics like stress, navigating change, uh, loving yourself when you're angry like all those sorts of things and I really love it. Um, I, I don't it pay really for it
0: but I just listen in on somebody's earbuds as they're listening to it but yeah. with the social distancing I, I can't do that now.
1: So what Lisa's done is she's she's taken a seashell and held it up to her ear and then she's taken 40 paper towel tubes and duct taped <laughs> them together and what? She, and then she she's attached that to the end of the seashell and then she holds it out her window and she you does the same thing.
0: I said, Elon, and Musk, eat it, because I'm an innovator. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's called scrappiness, people. Eat uh, it. You can also eat it. You can also interrupt the spiral of negative self-talk by focusing your energy on something external that you care about, which can help you establish perspective and a sense of meaning beyond yourself. And I find this to be so true. Anytime I'm feeling really down in the dumps, I go, how can I be of service? How can I make someone else's day better? And it's really hard to not feel better when you do something oh, wow. like that, in my When experience. I find
0: myself down in the dumps, I ask myself, how can I be down in the dumps like this? What the fuck happened to my life that I find myself yeah, in yeah, this yeah. position? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: it's the worst when you're down in the dumps and you're taking a dump and you're just like, what, does it get any worse than this? <laughs>
0: Can the dumps keep coming?
1: No, you (sighs) pooped in the closet. If you can do things to get yourself out of your own head, like going out and volunteering or doing something nice for a family member, these things can help lift the negative voices that are going on in your head, said Emily S. Fahani-Smith, author of The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. Ooh, that sounds like a good book. I maybe mean, tune in stay tuned stay the second tuned. step to self-compassion is to meet your criticism with kindness if your inner critic says you're lazy and worthless respond with a reminder yeah, you're I doing am. your best or we yeah, all I make mistakes <laughs> i want you to talk to your inner critic with like a valley girl voice like i don't even think talk to the hand you don't
0: even know me and i don't care about you
1: um, everywhere in the valley takes 20 minutes. <laughs> Do you know what I got? It's from Clueless. Yes. <laughs> She's like, in the valley? Um, okay. Yeah. But it's step three, according to Dr. Brewer, that is most important if you want to make the shift sustainable in the long term. So we've talked about um, being mindful and noticing mm-hmm. when you're in a self-criticism state and then being of service. Mm-hmm. Step three, make a deliberate, conscious effort to recognize the difference between, are you microwaving something? (laughs) Oh, can you hear that?
0: Sorry, my laundry just finished. I I was going to turn it off beforehand, but I didn't. No,
1: I love it. It's safer at home. And Lisa has just proven to me that she is, in fact, home. And I like it. I like it. That's what safety sounds like. That's a real S S A A A F F
0: F F E E E E T T T T Y Y Y Y safety safety dance. you're too young for that
1: No I'm not that's no 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 that's um uh why am I trying to say electric what is that No I know that
0: everyone knows
1: that Okay. Yeah. I will never forget that uh this kid John in my high school during lip sync battle did a solo, did a s- not lip sync battle, lip sync, yeah, it was lip sync competition, did a solo performance to that song, which is <guitarṛṣṇa> so long and has like not that many words <laughs> and, and he was spelling. So- He's such a a weirdo, and he's so brilliant, and it was just the most, like, it was right out of Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. That's great. Step three, according to Dr. Brewer, is the most important if you want to make the shift to sustainable in the long term. Make a deliberate, conscious effort to recognize the difference between how you feel when caught up in self-criticism and how you feel when you can let go of it. Mm. That's where you start to hack the reward-based learning system, Dr. Brewer said. A part of our brains called the... Orbitofrontal cortex. Sure. I want you to call me that from now on.
0: Orbitofrontal cortex. I'm not misty.
1: I'm orbitofrontal stinit. Orbitofrontal
0: is, uh, cortex stinit.
1: This is always looking for the BBO, the bigger, better offer. It yeah. compares X versus Y, he said, mm. and if Y is more pleasurable or less painful, it will learn to go with Y. Hey, that's Think smart. about it this way. How much better might it feel... Yeah, that's a brain, baby. The brain is the only organ to have ever named itself. You love which that is fact. Fucking terrifying. I love it. It's fucking scary. But here's the thing: you don't
0: know that the kidney didn't tell the brain, "Hey, I want to be called a
1: kidney." <laughs> and you go, "What do you want to do tonight, kidney?" The same thing we do every night, brain. Take over the world. Are you too old for that, Lisa? No, I didn't enjoy Pinky and the Brain, though. I did. You Listen, I had to watch so many episodes of Animaniacs. J.D. and I, my writing partner, were submitting a packet for Animaniacs like a year ago because they're bringing it back, y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew we were going to be sent to the showrunner. And uh, uh, I had to watch so many episodes. And I've blocked it all out. Here we go. Uh, Think about it this way. How much better might it feel to take a breath after making a mistake rather than berating ourselves? All you have to do is think of going to a friend, Dr. Neff said. If you said, I'm feeling fat and lazy and I'm not succeeding at my job, and your friend said, yeah, you're a loser. Just give up. Now you're disgusting. How motivating would that be? This is the linchpin of being kinder to ourselves. Practice what it feels like to treat yourself as you might treat a friend. In order to trade in self-abuse for self-compassion, it has to be a regular habit. So the next time you're on the verge of falling into a shame spiral, think of how you'd pull your friend back from falling in and turn that effort inward. If it feels funny the first time, give it second, third, and fourth tries. And if you forget on the fifth, remember, four tries is a lot better than zero.
0: That's great. Misty, thank you so much for bringing us that article. You're welcome. In order to keep this weekly beef short, I'm going to say, may your gentleness with yourself be
1: abundant. We love you. You're doing a great job. Bye.